I was young, I used to buy the like, you know, 40X salvia extracts and stuff, and that's perfectly legal. And that mm-hmm. stuff is crazy psychedelic. Like, there's nothing quite like a salvia, a 40X salvia trip. Yeah. And they would sell that at like gas stations and stuff. Yeah, you can get that stuff anywhere. Yeah. Uh, tobacco really? was harder to get. <laughs> oh my God. Tobacco is so hard to get now. I quit smoking. I'm like, I don't want to pay $30 for a pack. Like, are you crazy? And it's so ugly now, too. Like, in Canada, they made all the lo- all the boxes of cigarettes like look the same because they don't want it to be appealing to kids, which I get it. Like, I get it. But it's also like, it made smoking very not cool. <laughs> so I think yeah. it's working. I think that's yeah. that was the intention. I think that's yes. the goal. Yeah. It sounds like you're complaining about a success. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I quit smoking like I had wanted to anyway, but like, that was a factor for me i was like these are just ugly now girl like i don't even <laughs> want to pull them out <laughs> yeah i switched over to nicotine pouches for that reason but way I, cooler yeah i couldn't i couldn't give up the nicotine yet the way i quit smoking was i smoked cigarettes and then i worked at a vape shop and then i switched over to vaping and then i was like i need to quit vaping so then i switched back to menthols <laughs> and then i was like this made me quit yeah i have no desire to smoke a newport <laughs> oh my god oh yeah just, what are we talking good. about today Oh, yeah. Uh, DMT. You're listening to the TripSitter podcast. Like having a TripSitter watch over your experience, our goal is to provide guidance and support in preparation for your psychedelic journey. Join us as we demystify these substances, the science behind them, and the crazy world of psychedelic culture. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the trip. Can you maybe just start off by talking about the actual experience? Wait, hold on. That Let's introduce have. ourselves. First. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so, hello, yeah. welcome to the Trip Sitter podcast. I am Rowan Zioli. Uh, I am a writer and contributor for Trip Sitter Magazine. James Curtis. I am also a writer and contributor for Trip Sitter Magazine. Uh, I'm Justin Cook. I'm the founder, editor in chief, Trip Sitter. And I'm Sophie McGlova. I'm also a writer sometimes for Trip Sitter and other publications. You're awesome. prolific, Sophie. You're all over the internet. True. Only only because I try so hard. <laughs> Actually, we could probably cut it pretty well if I just say, you know, salvia uh, is a pretty strong drug. Uh, you yeah, know what sorry. else is strong? You know what DM. else is <laughs> No, no apologies. Very freeform no, no. podcast. We're figuring out what's going on. I I'm, love how I'm... there's multiple hosts. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're all bouncing around. It'll be great. Just winging it. Pretty much all we do is fun. Aw, I love that. It's like Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Had had you had DMT before this uh, this experience, or was this your first time? No. Okay, let me tell you what happened. This okay. was very unhinged. Okay, so I had started following this guy, I guess through like other people that I was following on Instagram. He's like a yoga teacher, whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. It's just like a hippie dude, like living his life, all cool. And I was following for a while, and then I noticed one day that he posted that he was doing like offering DMT ceremony or like session. And I was like, you know what? I'd like to try DMT. I feel like I am ready for that experience and but I definitely don't want to do it alone I've never done it before I would like to have someone with me this is literally the only person I've seen offering this I don't want to pay five thousand dollars for a retreat I wouldn't mind doing it in my house with a dude I kind of know and like my partner would be there whatever so I messaged him we set up a date or like I went traveling I messaged him we were like yeah that's good he never posted about it again I went traveling for a month and then when I came back I was like hey I still want to do it you know let me know what date works for you and we like set a whole thing 
thing. So I was very nervous as I am with any psychedelic experience in general. Like this is why I don't do big trips that often is because I can only do psychedelics when I can like muster up the courage to shove them in my mouth like two times a year because it's- Oh, I deeply get that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. scary, especially when they're unknown, you know, it, it it's, it's intense. And like, you know, I stopped smoking weed a really long time ago because I was getting body highs. So like there was a lot of fear, a lot of curiosity, but also a lot of like fear associated it with it for me but anyway he came over um like two hours late it was super cool uh because i'm a virgo so i really really like that a lot <laughs> and so he came over and he set up the whole like space like, in my living room basically with like the objects that he had so it was like a singing bowl like just typical like white person like <laughs> ceremonial tools you know like the random objects that you find and you're like i'm gonna use this in my ceremony i saw a picture which was fine we did a lot of like breath work to prepare so i did appreciate that it was like two hours of breath work and then he was like okay he pulled out two vape pens he was like okay so we're gonna do the dmt nn to like open up and then we're gonna do the five and i was like ah. This guy brought five MEO and I knew that I could have been like, no, I don't want to do that because I, I didn't know how intense it was. And then, but I, but I was like, you know what, Sophie, like this came into your apartment for a reason. Let's, let's be open to the experience. Right. I was, you know, on the wave. So we smoked the DMT. It was very visual. I did a pretty low dose of it. So I was still very present, but I don't vape. So it got caught in my throat and it was like scary. <laughs> a little bit then he did it with me and i was like oh okay we're doing that <laughs> thank god my partner was there as like a sober person in the building and then um, was he in the room with you while this was happening or was he no, off like in the was, kitchen she was on the couch like just okay. watching the whole thing so i was like mm, was was any of this like discussed beforehand like, like when he said we'll he did say something in a message being like we'll be in another place we won't be here and i thought that meant like spiritually like we together have embarked on this journey not literally both of us are going to be super fucking high yeah no it sounds like like a pretty generic spiritualism and, and yeah not. so <laughs> I, I didn't know that but so i i don't know i wasn't super i don't think a practitioner should be doing drugs with you to be honest how what support are you going to give especially with something like five meal when you're like it's a fully immersive experience you know what i mean but anyway so we like your friend can do drugs with you <laughs> Yeah, not someone you're like paying to guide you through this experience. Yeah, literally. It was really, it was really strange. So anyway, so we did the 5MEO or no, so we did the NN. I was like, oh, it's kind of like intense. I didn't really like the like vape aspect again because I don't vape, but you know, I love a visual high. So I was like, mm, okay, I'm loving my shapes. Then I had to pee. My main fear throughout the whole thing was I'm going to pee myself because I really like, I don't know. <laughs> You don't know. I'm no, I, yeah. You got to lose all control, including of your bladder. Yeah, Literally. I think that that's like something that happens a lot when people get like intoxicated or like like high for the first time or or like experience like that kind of new sensation of I don't know it's like an ultimate relaxation and then you're you're like you're worried that everything will relax yeah it's <laughs> that was like a big fear I had so I went to the bathroom to make sure I had nothing to pee out and then we did some more breath work and then I don't know I was really scared I just suddenly got really scared and then he was like you know what I think you'll sit up and then I'll like push you down so you lie down um when you exhale basically so we practiced like holding breath for a bit and like whatever and then finally he like gave me the vape and I inhale it and as soon as I did it I was like oh my god what the fuck have I done like I was so scared and then I held it for as long as I could and then I like coughed it out and I watched my apartment disappear and I mean I don't know if you guys have ever done 5MEO but it's not like DMT at all it is super white 
there is not a lot of visual. It was like very fast. It was going through a tunnel. I apparently was screaming the whole time, which I don't remember. You were screaming the whole time? I was screaming the whole time, apparently. This is this is my partner telling me after. She was like, yeah, you were like screaming super loud the whole time. And like, I thought somebody's going to call the cops. Like, I've never heard you scream like that. I was like, apparently I thought I was dying. I feel like I truly did get to have like a death experience because it like floods you with this kind of death sensation without killing your body. So it was very intense. It was very very scary um it was like a terror that i'd never experienced ever before but when i came out of it i was very i guess calm like i when i guess settled into it it was like going through a tunnel it was very strange i remember like lime green coming out and i remember like slowly seeing like the shape of the guide and my apartment like slowly coming back you know with the intense visual of like the crystallization or whatever of what dmt gives and the whole thing probably was like five minutes but i was like like in and out (laughs) yeah like i was like this is never gonna end and it took me like 20 minutes to like fully get back to normal when i came out of it i was like happy right like it was even though i was screaming the whole time on the outside it looked like terror on the inside it was okay (laughs) it wasn't so interesting that's so interesting that even though you felt like it was such a terrifying experience at the end of it you were like wow that was enjoyable (laughs) yeah it was um because it's not like anything that i've ever felt before it's like you become i had either had like i don't know any frame of reference i had for like existence disappeared i had no apartment i had no body i had like no self and i had no time to even like process that i was nothing I was like almost like being pure consciousness and it's a very like unusual experience that is almost pleasant in a way once you think about it because you don't ever get to separate from yourself so deeply it was very fast right and then after that my partner and I watched a bunch of like 5MEO like recap videos because I think it took me a few days to process that like oh we actually like did the 5MEO like we didn't do just DMT and I had to like think about that and I was like hmm that's kind of fucked up (laughs) because I didn't know that that was going to happen it's such a powerful drug I do I don't have like a negative experience or thoughts about it I would like to do it again especially now that I kind of know how powerful it is uh maybe not for like a year I think there's a lot of integration involved with it. But yeah, anyway, so like later my partner told me that apparently I was screaming the whole time. And so the guy was, had also smoked it and then was just sitting there, like obviously like also in the zone. She was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Like, I thought that you were like, I don't know. I thought you were having a horrible time and I didn't know how to stop it. Cause apparently I was like looking at her, but we couldn't, like, obviously I couldn't see her. Like I had no it was like all immersive and she said it was really scary for her and anyway when he we came back like he was like just normal and fine and we very briefly talked about it and then he left and that was fine but so yeah as you keep talking about like the the visual elements of it as someone who hasn't done it what was the like the you say like this terror with other psychedelics that I've done like there is this like deeply emotional spiritual realization that occurs did that even happen or was it just like was it just the visual and then you were back and you were like all right now I'm the same person no I think that I mean I don't know if I had like enough time to have any kind of like realization I think with 5MEO like a lot of that would happen after just because how fast the whole experience is like I guess my I will say that I don't really feel like afraid of a lot of things anymore because I don't think nothing can match that like terror that I felt ever (laughs) so any like death fear like I feel like I've already experienced it 
like I already know like I want to try a boga and like low-key I'm like I'm scared that I'm gonna die on it but I'm like well who cares because you already know what it's like to die so if it's like that then you know it can't be that bad yeah um, there was no like moment with like I don't know with like an entity or anything like that but I do like some kind of process I guess the main takeaway would be like surrender into it because if you fight against it it's worse but how long did it feel like while you were in it like did it feel like five minutes or did it feel like an eternity I know a lot of people say that it feels like it goes on forever but I had no time concept if that makes sense so I just I, I don't know it just felt like you know how like a movie will like put you in the middle it just felt like endless middle like there was no beginning or end it was just like you're going you're going in the white tunnel and that's all there is and there's no before or after and that's what you are that's your space in it <laughs> I'm just I'm dumbfounded by the concept of somebody feeling like DMT is powerful enough to illegally set up sessions with other people and not caring enough to like inform them of what they're going to experience or stay yeah. sober while they're doing it to make sure they're okay. I like I I am I'm blown away by so many I didn't know about a bunch of this I think it's crazy that you thought it was going to be NN and he brought five MEO I thought it was crazy that it was your first time ever doing it and he did it too I think I think that it's wild that he didn't like immediately apologize when he came out and found out that you were screaming the whole time like <laughs> the whole thing like in retrospect I'm like oh my god what an unsafe experience like on top of all that there was like no preparation other than him being like yeah don't drink the day before because you'll throw up i he didn't ask me any questions about my mental health no screening as a retreat would do like as as time goes on i'm like this is such a wild and unsafe experience like i wouldn't recommend this to anybody thank god that i have experience with drugs and medicines and i was somehow able to like navigate this and like you know maybe i'll like hire an integration coach to go over this in more deeper ways but like imagine if this is somebody's first time doing psychedelics ever like and they think that this is how it's supposed to be like your facilitator is not i don't know giving you any kind of help i even like re he messaged me like a few days later and he was like hey like hope you're doing fine whatever like um so i'm very I glad your partner was there so she could like be like even though there was, i'm sure that was traumatic for her to see you just like scream for Literally, five she minutes said that she never wants to be there if i do five and meal again so and i get it no i, re I remember one time I, I did mushrooms and was having like a really bad come up experience and i was in this airbnb that had like this wood panel with all these knots in the paneling and stuff and so my visuals were like going nuts and I'd scared my partner like half to death because she was like how are you and I like opened my eyes and they just like rolled back and I like went back like to closing my eyes and she's like I don't think I want to be around anymore <laughs> um Justin can you explain the difference between the two types of DMT because I don't really understand what the difference is but there seems to be a very dramatic one yeah Justin's a good idea because a lot of people don't know I didn't know in the beginning when he said like in terms of uh of effects like uh, both like on a chemical level uh, just like just the kinds of differences because when you brought up that nn versus meo like i i know yeah very little i mean about DMT. there's so like even psilocybin is it's like 4-ho dmt right like it's it, it basically refers to like it's a it's a tryptamine based compound it interacts with serotonin but they're widely different aside from that very small changes in the chemical structure can dramatically alter how 
they bind to your receptors, which receptors they interact with, how long it takes them to be metabolized, what metabolizes them, all these kinds of things. So like chemically, you look at them, they're not that different looking, but the the experience is completely different. And like, I think it's it's even different again when we're looking at like vapes, right? Like if you take like ayahuasca, that's NNDMT and it's extremely powerful and you can have death experiences, you know, just like you can with 5-MeO, but the quality of the experience is still extremely different. And then when you take Definitely. it in a vape pen, it's different again, right? Like if, if you, like you said, you take the NNDMT in a vape and it's kind of seen as the more like mild one and it is, but then when you take it orally, it's, no, there's nothing mild about it, right? Um, and it's the same with 5-MeO DMT. You can take it orally with an MAO inhibitor and it's crazy and it is long lasting. It lasts definitely more than five or 10 minutes, but yeah, it is, it is really fascinating the, the, how different of effects these drugs can cause with just, you know, an extra carbon or something. And that's really all it is, is a few extra carbon atoms in different places. And I think a lot of times the difference gets simplified as just 5-MeO is stronger, but there's, there's really a lot more to it than that. I think a lot of times people just think, oh, and then like your guide is like a warm up and then you're ready for like the more potent one, but it's, yeah. it can be a completely different experience. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's almost like a dissociative almost effect with 5-MeO. Like, like you say, it, it hits you so quickly and you're gone. You don't have any attachment to your, yourself, your things. And without that, you can't really feel sad or upset that you you've lost those things. Um, whereas in, in my experience, at least with NNDMT uh, orally, at least it's a lot slower. And there's that kind of transitionary period where you still have those attachments and it's extremely uncomfortable, sad, you feel scared, all of these things. Right. But eventually you do end up in that same, a similar kind of space where you have no conscious, like uh, acknowledgement of your previous existences. I am Justin. I am, you know, a guy, I have a, my girlfriend and my family and all this stuff. None of that exists. And, and you're in a space without all of that. Mm -hmm. but yeah. They both take you to that, to that same, same space though. But it just, to me feels like the five MEO one is a little bit stronger in that regard. It, it dissolves those feelings much more quickly. Yeah. It's definitely like, it hits you at your brain, like super fast. There's a really like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where he's like, oh, this one drink is like being um, smacked in the brain with a, with a lemon wrapped around a brick. It's like kind of like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sophie, how did you enjoy the, the NN? Did you, did you find that to be a better experience or? I mean, in the initially I was like, damn, I didn't like it because I had that vape like residue, but I do want, like, I love a visual high and I love how short lasting it is. So I do like, I think I'm going to buy my own DMT vape pen and like kind of play around with it around the house um, with like my partner home and like slower building it up because I do want to see those visuals again. I find them very pleasant. I just like it for me, like every time I get high on any kind of psychedelic, I notice that I see a lot of the same visuals and it's very like comforting to me to see like those what are those visuals? Pens. A lot of like flower of life. A lot of that. I see these like fractals that happen that are different between like land and sky. And I guess to me, like my awareness is that my awareness tells me it's like, oh, these fractals and shapes are always there under the layers. Okay, so um, you were saying that he also didn't know the dose that you were taking. Uh, yeah. You had yeah. mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, like after like two days later, my partner was at work and she was talking to one of her friends about it. And she texted me and she was like, oh, do you know the dose? And I was like, hi, I guess I don't know the dose. So I, I texted him and like the guy and he was like, yeah, it's impossible to know. And I was like, oh. 
is is that true? Is it impossible to know the dose? I mean, to be fair, how do you how do you how do you measure a dose from a vape pen? Yeah, you know, it's like how hard did you inhale? How long did you hold it? I'll show you what he sent me. He gave me some numbers, but he said overall the dose is impossible to know. Because I know, like when I worked in manufacturing, like CBD disposables, the standard dose would be like one three second long inhale would equivalent to however many mg's of CBD. So like even that kind of information of him he should have probably told you to like okay hold down the button and inhale for x amount of seconds to get this kind of dose like so yeah what are the numbers that he said sophie he said it's a one gram cartridge and we did a nine second pull at low heat no way to tell how much intake but i can ask the doctor like his friend that he gets it from to estimate so a doctor with they, big yeah, air hold quotes. on i don't yeah, know if he's actually no a doctor <laughs> There's no way. I think I was being dramatic, but he was not two hours late. He was one hour late. So. Oh, not bad. Not bad. Right. It's not bad at all. It's fine. Okay. So. <laughs> so what is the standard dose? Uh, so just so I can, what is the standard dose? What is the standard intake method for this? And so we can compare how wrong this guy was. You know, Justin, can you elaborate on that? Because I don't even know the standard dose. I, I feel like this is something, I mean, same with mushrooms. I feel like it's different with every person. I just know for myself, like I am sensitive to drugs in general like for me three three and a half grams of mushrooms is significant um whereas for some people to get that same effect they would need more yeah so. i think you're right on on everyone's a bit different but the the like standard dose is like 40 50 milligrams inhaled if there is like a standard dose in that sense like you would say like the standard dose of mushrooms is like two to four grams but like you said two grams might feel like what four grams for me feels like you know yeah there's no way of knowing that until you've until you've taken it yeah until you've tried it i but think you, you did me. say you took like like one you took like one inhale right or did you take I did, yeah so we did the one but it was like as long as i could he said it was end up being nine seconds and then i held it for as long as i could but i, I you know it's hard because the vape like hits my throat in like a weird way so i had to like cough it out it was hard and then as soon as i like exhaled it i was like oh fuck <laughs> i feel like it's one thing to be like yeah do a blink hit of thc here do a blink hit of dmt like what <laughs> yeah the dmt like people play fast and loose with it a lot like people are just out here casually carrying dmt pens yeah i think that's the biggest downside of of these vape pens they're just so easy to use people can just go out on their lunch break and blast off to outer space and uh, on demand. experience yeah yeah i'm I don't just know gonna be working like... at mcdonald's and i'm gonna take my 10 minute break and then i'm gonna go to outer space and be back and like what yeah, yeah come back flipping burgers again like how do you how does how do you even do that definitely one of the psychedelics that people form habits on too like i've I've heard plenty of stories of people who use DMT multiple times a day for like several days. Like they go on like binges of DMT. No. Um, yeah. It, well, like it's not super common, you know, like, cause like psychedelics do have a little bit of a defense mechanism for building like addiction, addictive tendencies or whatever, but it's like still a hundred percent possible. And, and DMT is like a big one for it because it is such a short acting drug that it's like, you can kind of do it any day at some point kind of thing. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of like the motivation behind it, right? If you're using psychedelics to stop using other drugs, they're extremely powerful, but if you're just using it as a form of escapism, they can be used just as compulsively as anything absolutely else. Yeah. yeah anything has the potential to be abused and i think that's like the other kind of red flag about this guy that i was that i did it with is that he told me that he had just done like another ceremony a few days prior or like the day before and he had another one coming up so from what i understand like he's just doing dmt all the time five meo pretty frequently and he also messaged me like not too long ago being like let me know when you're ready for another ceremony like i'm like mm, i think i'll message you babe 
I mean, but, okay, there's a, I feel like there's a two, two sides to this coin of the, like him taking the psychedelic at the same time, you know, like you go, you go to like an ayahuasca ceremony or something and the shaman is drinking ayahuasca at the same time as well. And yeah. there's kind of the importance of that, but I don't know like where that gets lost when you're using a concentrate in a vape pen, you know, of a, of a substance that doesn't come like that in, in, in nature. Like the closest thing to it, I guess, is the excretions of the bufo toad, mm. right? which you can smoke and it has kind of similar, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a bit ignorant on how the like traditional shamanic use of that of that goes do they smoke it as well or do they not i don't i think i watched some videos like i don't think they do because you dissociate so much like what what guide guidance guiding could you offer you know yeah i think this is like the furthest one could possibly get from any kind of like traditional intake method mm. yeah, yeah i think it's also a question of experience you know like i'm i'm sure this guy has a lot of yoga training but how much training does he have with you know sitting in ceremony especially while he's also taking part in the ceremony it's like you know like the the shamanic use of ayahuasca in ceremony is like it's totally different from like if we're you know researching like mushrooms in a therapeutic setting here in america right the therapist here in america probably shouldn't be on mushrooms while the patients are even if that is like a shamanic practice and i think right. it's just kind of like a different like use case scenario like if you're a stranger coming over to someone's home who hasn't grown up like in a culture where this is like a big ritual and you've had like lifelong training in it then it seems kind of weird to like partake while they're in it too i i had a, a friend who wanted to try mushrooms for the first time and and he's like pretty psychedelic naive and so you know even with him and he's like he's i would say like one of the closest people to me like we're we're we just get along really well and we have like a really close relationship and even with him i was like the first two times that you do this i'm not gonna do it with you and you know it was only like after the second time where he actually took a decent dose where he was like it was fun but i kind of like wish that you would have been along with me that i was like all right well next time let's do that you know it, it's like a different thing but if it's like if it's somebody that you don't know and you have questionable certification or whatever which i don't know what that certification should be um <laughs> then i think i think it's i don't know it, it is a difficult question i don't know how to answer it yeah, what do you, i guess what, that is a, a question that i do have did did he present any kind of quality qualifications other than like I'm the guy like did he when you were like looking into this you had like been following him for a little bit on social media aside from that what like made you trust him initially other than the ease of access because there is not as much access to it as other kinds of medicines potentially like what was that entry point for you I guess yeah I mean I think online he just presented like a very approachable kind of image like I definitely have my own reservations when it comes to like specifically like white new age people and and the language that they use and stuff like that. But for the most part, I was like, well, that's pretty much everybody in this space. So how picky can I really be? So yeah, ease of access was a big one for sure. Again, like I'm not super into anybody that like actively calls themselves a shaman. But I think I mean, I very much like overlooked my own red flags, I think too, when I was initially booking the session. And like my partner is a much better judge of character than me. And she was like, yeah, as soon as he stepped in, I was like, mm, not that into it. But yeah, in terms of qualifications like I mean I think that's the other side of like having a conversation about this like how do you be qualified in serving the medicine like traditionally you would have two decades worth of lineage to and like tradition to follow like I interviewed a guy named Dario Giofrido a while ago and he is Italian but he went to Ecuador to study like with the tribe with like this tribe that he was with and he basically just followed the leader around like you don't 
traditionally you don't even declare yourself as like the healer if we're listening to what the indigenous people were doing before like the community decides for you you get appointed that role but these days anybody can be like well i'm a shaman and you see these weird instagram ads being like get your shaman like credentials (laughs) i love that differentiation that that's a really really interesting point how much did this cost is also a question great question it was by (laughs) donation or one 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 it's everything everything angel numbers all the time guys that's that's how you know it's legit i worked for a cult leader for a while uh and i was i was editing her book um fun thing to just throw out there by the way nice we'll talk about that later she paid me to edit her basically her bible uh and i pay she paid me two 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 that's how much she paid me for that i was like it great it was great to get paid that much for it but i was like yeah okay cool you're gonna pay me in installments of angel numbers and i'm gonna tell you how like reptilians are kind of anti-semitic like this is gonna oh, be a yeah. weird relationship that we have i mean if she really wanted to serve the lord she would have paid you seven 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 no i'm very like anti-new age for real like i do think it's super dangerous i think the beliefs like very quickly can descend into white supremacy and like deep like they're very anti-semitic a lot of these beliefs like truly like at the core yeah absolutely as as uh, my last name might not imply it zioli but i am jewish and that is like having to be like yeah you know all of this but that is also tying back a little bit to uh like dmt and like this guy who is operating this did you feel like he was picking you specifically because of like being a being a woman and being a white woman in this space like how do you feel like he has a a type that he goes after because i feel like that's a very common thing with people who label themselves as guides and shamans as they go okay i can get specific people to follow me that i have ulterior intentions for i'm the best shaman for hot women (laughs) only hot women want to be my followers my flock is is so pure no i think that i think that the vibe is very much with him like less like i've started a cult and more like if you wanted to start a cult around me i wouldn't mind (laughs) and i don't really see him offer the ceremony services on instagram anymore i only saw that one post so it is weird that is that something that i saw and that i signed up for but yeah no like he offers it to other people like i know other people do it a lot of his like male friends are are big proponents of his stuff um yeah it's uh it's definitely a strange thing i'm very not bro it again like i really think screening should be the biggest thing when it comes to this stuff like people have mental health issues people can get re-traumatized these medicines are not for play like there's no recreational use for 5-MEO whatsoever like I can understand taking a low dose of DMT see a pretty picture for like five minutes why not whatever like if that's what you want to do every now and then go for it but 5-MEO like even at low dose you're getting like an existential experience and for what you know <laughs> like I, I don't think that there's recreational use for these drugs I, I do think that it's dangerous to give them to people without at least checking their background or having some sort of like medical history like what if I had a family sch- history of schizophrenia or like or like psychosis or something like I could have come out of this re-traumatized people asphyxiate on 5-MeO not all the time but like frequently because they stop breathing because you're fucking screaming a lot of like that's normal to scream I talked to I talked to Joel Riera who runs Tandava retreats in Mexico which is a 5-MeO retreat and like I can very much vouch for Joel and his his beautiful partner uh Victoria and their their like ethics when it comes to running that retreat and when I told him about this experience he was shook uh, obviously so rightfully so but yeah like they do a lot 
lot of screening. They do a one-on-one -on -one experience. And they they also told me that they, they have people contacting them and being like, oh, I want to come back and do it again. And sometimes they turn them away if they feel like they haven't integrated properly. And to me, that's like the sign of a good facilitator. Like you can tell that it's not just about making money off a retreat that is expensive, but it's about making sure somebody's getting the experience that they need rather than maybe the one that they want. So I want to... Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you go for it. Because like as soon as it ended, I felt like so good. And I was like, fuck, I want to go again, you know? And it feels and very much like a roller coaster feeling of like you just got off the roller coaster after screaming the whole time and you're like, yeah, all right, get like, back online. You're like, okay, one more time, you know? But like, and I was talking very much about how I wanted to do it again. And then within two weeks, like he was like, yeah, like let me know when you want to schedule another one. And by then I was like, whoa, I can't be doing this often. Like this is a total brain experience. Like, you need time to process. So obviously this has all been a big problem. <laughs> this is like obviously like a bit a big problem right now within like psychedelic facilitation. But I, I also want to kind of switch gears and talk about attempts that we've made at solutions and whether it's been helpful at all. So like, I, I know that for this article, you also kind of broke down some of the certifications that are out there and what they actually cover and more importantly, how incredibly expensive they are. So yeah, if you could uh, maybe just kind of talk a little bit about the ways that we've tried to answer this and, and whether or not it's helped at all. Yeah, I mean, I think with 5MEO, like there aren't certifications. I know that Joel has kind of like the five training quote-unquote that he offers through his nonprofit five which is affiliated with the retreat so you know people can come if they approve them to basically do like a full year training but even him like you know he was like the training like the certificate isn't anything it's just for me to know that you have put in the work to learn more about the medicine and also he requires that everybody have some experience with it and has had a full experience had a full year between the from the last one to the training so like they do really expect you to integrate like so I, I really do vouch for Joel and his work I think that what they're doing is very ethical and like honest there's other trainings too like I interviewed some people who said that they have been doing I think the inner track training in Oregon and there were a couple of people there that had no psychedelic experience uh, which I thought was pretty interesting I don't know what do you guys think like this is this is like I know my opinion and I think this is kind of like a divisory topic in the space but like do you think that a facilitator needs to have psychedelic experience and on that topic do you think a journalist needs to have psychedelic experience to write about psychedelics like what do you think a great question it's a really good question i think you're really dependent on like what you're i think a facilitator should absolutely like i would feel comfortable like if a friend had asked me like hey i'm doing this drug that i don't really know much about and i feel safe around you i would not consider myself a facilitator i would be a trip sitter i would never yeah. call myself a facilitator if i had not done the drug and i think that should go for everyone mm. what's the difference in that language though like how do we differentiate like what is a trip sitter what is a facilitator what is a guide like these are these are words that are thrown a lot around a lot and i think everybody in their head maybe has a different meaning of what that looks like yeah i mean i, I think in my head it's always been like the same thing as getting a, a degree and a specialty you know like you get your bachelor's as like a trip sitter like you know it's kind of like pretty common a lot of people get it and you can kind of get like an introductory job where you don't have a whole lot of responsibilities and like you know trip sitters should you know only be there for situations where you kind of know what you're doing or have done plenty of research they know everything to expect as a trip sitter and ideally they have experience but i don't think they have to my my fiance doesn't doesn't do psychedelics but she's a fantastic trip sitter because mm. she kind of just hangs out and you know we watch tv or play video games or whatever together and just have a fun time but she's not there to facilitate my session or to tell me when to take certain how many drugs because that's that's not her job because she hasn't she doesn't 
doesn't have that knowledge. Yeah, I think at a base level, a facilitator should know what dose that you're giving. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) that's a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think a guide is someone who has like spent a lot of time. Um, That's like the doctorate. That's like someone who knows everything that they're talking about. And they've proven themselves through several trip sitting and facilitated sessions and is able to like help guide you through difficult experiences. But I think like presenting yourself as I would say anything above a trip sitter is dramatically irresponsible without like a tremendous amount of experience. Even even facilitators, I think, should have a lot of training and experience. And I and I do think that that should probably include psychedelics to answer your question. I, I think that they should probably have tried psychedelics to call themselves a, a facilitator at that point. Because I think like there's the emotional aspect of being with someone and holding space for their emotions that they're experiencing during a psychedelic experience and being able to be there for them on that level without just like as a bare safety precaution. Mm-hmm. But then I think like a facilitator knows the experience intimately and knows how to like navigate you towards or away certain aspects of the experience right but yeah justin what do you think you've been been quiet for a little while what are you thinking justin (laughs) no i agree with all you guys i think like there's a there's a key difference like a trip sitter is like you know a friend or or you could hire a trip sitter and it's more of a harm reduction thing they're not we even i would even advise like a trip a good trip sitter you shouldn't influence the trip at all you're just kind of taking care of them you let them do their thing if there's any signs of danger you're there to step in and and make sure that everything's good but if you're gonna if you're gonna be a facilitator it's it's i agree there's a lot more involved you need to have spent a lot of time with that specific substance not just psychedelics in general but with that substance mm-hmm. like you look at like a again going back to like a traditional shaman you know you have like tobaccos all they do they spend many 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 hundreds of hours taking tobacco and learning how it works when they can use it when they shouldn't use it all the nuances that come with it and same with ayahuasca someone that that's an ayahuascaro that's their medicine that's what they sit with they drink it often they've been training with it for years not you know a couple weekend course or something it's literally years of them being the, the patient and the, the person being worked on they do it alone with a uh, mentor, like all of these things. And it's a totally different world now where we have a weekend course where you can go and you can take magic mushrooms for a weekend and do some basic philosophical and spiritual sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden you're able to go and teach others and and give this to other people. And I think there's something, some kind of distinction that we have to make between that and the kind of dedicated, more altruistic goal of, of someone spending the time and the energy and basically devoting their life to this, to use it as a, as a medicine and, and without the financial gain as being the, the motivation. But I don't know what language we can use to kind of differentiate that. But there's, I think there's a huge distinction between those two things. I absolutely think that that point of like someone who has dedicated their life to this, like I would not want to have someone I don't know intimately be with me for a psychedelic experience if they had not like proven that this is their whole deal yeah and i think going back to the question sophie that you asked about journalism like i think that's a really i want to know your thoughts on that of like how you think a journalist needs to be able to relate to these psychedelic experiences because like the article that i first wrote for trips that are about psychedelics and gender i would not have felt comfortable reading an article like that from someone who had not experienced it like there was another magazine that wrote about it that interviewed someone and i think that's like there is like a journalistic objectivity to it but i think in the like the journalistic landscape that we're in today where people kind of want to be able to trust the opinion from both an objective and subjective point of view. It depends on the topic of like, is it a basic overview or like a deep dive into the topic? Yeah. But I would prefer that someone writing about it be able to talk about the experience At rather least than just, yeah. 
right? Exactly. I think that in today's psychedelic landscape, a lot of people kind of forget that there's other jobs other than being a guide, right? Like, I think people get really, um, apparently at the Psychedelic Science Conference, a lot of people were like, I want to be a guide. I want to be a guide. Like, where do I start? And like, I get it. There's, there's definitely a lot of like appeal to it. But I think like, first of all, not everybody can be a guide. And why do you want to be a guide? Do you like, you know, figure that out first? And yeah, no, I agree. I think you need to have extensive experience. Like, I don't, that's, I mean, like, to me, that would be like the most basic thing. Like, I don't care about like qualifications and stuff, because I'm not fully on board with those either. Like, I am not necessarily against underground guides, even after my experience, because I don't think these experiences need to cost $2,000. I think there, there are a lot of very qualified underground guides who have committed their lives to this and have so much experience and a lot of like trust and effort or have a lot of like trust from the community behind them. So I'm not... Which goes back to your point of the community chooses the person who is the guide. The guide does not right. choose themselves because it feels like an ego thing. Like everyone wants to be a guide. It's an ego yeah. thing. For sure. Exactly. And that's why you got to question your why. Is it because you want power? Do you want authority? Do you want like a teacher role? Or do you genuinely want to help people? And what does that look like? Um, and in regards to journalists, I don't know, at the Psychedelic Science Conference, there's a pretty interesting panel on psychedelic journalism. And one of them, I think it was Shayla Love, she said that she doesn't think that you need to have experience to be a reporter on this. So I I agree to to a degree. I think that if you're just reporting on like stocks or whatever, like just the business side of stuff, like, yeah, like you could just be a business writer reporting about this stuff. However, the way that the space is growing, I think for any job in the psychedelic space, whether that is a psychedelic therapist or a trip sitter or a guide or even the psychedelic journalist talking about these stories and interviewing people or you have a podcast or something, I think that the bare minimum is just a little bit of experience, you know, just to know what it's like to have an altered state of consciousness for an extended period of time and to know what that feels like. No one's expecting you to do every drug. <laughs> I don't think you should necessarily unless that's the curiosity that you have. But to know what it's like to do drugs in general, not even just psychedelics, but like to be doing drugs because that's what it is. And I think there's an empathy that comes with it also. Yeah, of like, a lot of compassion is necessary too. When you're like writing about psychedelics, you're writing about people who do psychedelics. If you're like writing about them as an other, that can quickly come into like really problematic territory of demonizing drug use or like fetishizing drug use in some way. Yeah, for sure. And like as a queer person, like, I mean, it kind of goes back to just lived experience in general. Like as a queer person, I would not want to go to a panel on like queerness taught by a straight person. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you don't know. You have no idea. Why would I listen to you? Right. So I think a lot of it just ties back into relatability in that sense. Yeah, um, I think too, like when, when you're reading someone else's work or listening to a podcast or someone that isn't in on the like in the industry themselves you can tell pretty quickly that they're not you know they might be able to report on on specific information and that's fine but there's something more nuanced to it where you can just kind of tell that they're not in the in the scene and living it and and what they're saying is is coming more from the heart than just like you know i read two other papers and then i summarize it in my own you know like there's a, a really big difference between those two types of reporting yeah yeah and you know i think you know to the point of like you don't have to try every drug it's like rowan is a hundred percent more qualified than I am to write an article on psychedelics and gender. And that is 
not something that I have lived experience with. So obviously she would be a better person to do that. But I can write an article on like mescaline as a topic just because, you know, even if I haven't necessarily had it yeah. by having experience with other psychedelics. So it's it's like a exactly like you said, where it's if you have lived experience with at least the general topic of what you're doing, I think it's fine. But if you're claiming any kind of expertise on any like specific element, it would be, I think, disingenuous to try and do so without just a ton of history with it. And I think one thing that we haven't touched on is that across the board for anyone to be good at either journalism or being a guide or a trip sitter is you have to be humble. Like mm-hmm. you have to be like knowing that you don't know everything. And That's that what you... should teach you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's it's like they're so easy to use for spiritual bypassing. Oh and, my God. It's and a it's whole also... topic. Like... Yeah. Come I mean, back for a podcast episode on <laughs> spiritual bypassing Sophie let's go I, I don't know about I don't know about y'all but like when I first started doing psychedelics like I had that moment of like oh I, I want to be a guide because like I want to bring this to everyone and and you have like this roller coaster where it becomes the best thing that you've ever heard of in the entire world potentially the answer to all of life's problems and then like you get more experience with it and you're like that's not actually necessarily the case and you kind of start to like grow past that and then you start to see, oh, there's actually some really dark corners of this space that people are ignoring or sweeping under the rug. And you have kind of like that, that whole roller coaster of experience with psychedelics. And I feel like, again, I don't know about y'all, but that's been a a pretty common thing in psychedelics that I've noticed with people who use it, fall in love with it and, you know, continue doing so. Yeah. But then there's always like some people get stuck on that initial part. And that's, you know, like Sophie said, if you're proclaiming that you're a shaman, it's already a little suspicious. (laughs) And also, I I just think like what you were talking about before, like it's so easy to once you position yourself in that point of power to abuse the people, even unintentionally, like there are people who intentionally go in to abuse people. And we can that's a whole other episode also about like the abuse that happens within the psychedelic practitioner space. But like, that's also why it was so important, like Sophie, for you to have your partner there, because if she wasn't there, it would have been so easy for you to be in that altered state and for him to just like be like ah oh, yes I'm a man in this space and then like a- enact violence on you even if unintentionally mm-hmm. yeah I think a lot of people may cause unintended like harm in this space like just through well like meaning like I gotta tell people about this like at the psychedelic science convention I met a couple who had just had their first psychedelic experience last year 2022 and are now opening up a retreat center to do couples retreats on psychedelics so oh no me, oh no like, yeah. and you know when you talk to them like it's not saying that these are like evil people right these are people that have experienced something for them has been very life-changing and positive they feel like they're doing the right thing by sharing it with as many people as possible but it's like what makes you qualified to guide people through a psychedelic experience other than literally maybe eight months of your own time you know like your own experience like what what do you have do you have like medical background like do you know what I mean and even that I just don't think like it's enough and I think that a lot of people really get caught up in it there's a lot of like fanaticism in the space like people try it they put on the rose colored glasses and they're like I'm gonna force everybody to wear them too like they're you know and I know it's not sexy to talk about it but like it's dangerous yeah you know that's the main thing that people don't talk about in psychedelics is that there's dangers involved it's not for everybody and when you are taking them especially when you're taking things like 5-MeO that completely put you in a different space like there there's there should be safety precautions involved because you know people people leave re-traumatized some people take it and they're not the same after and they need support after that too are you uh, qualified 
give that. Yeah. Do you uh, just wrapping up, I guess, because we are nearing the end of the time. Would what safety precautions would you have preferred to have in place for your experience that you think would have made it a better experience in general? Yeah, actually, I want to I want to throw onto that and say, like, what what would you recommend people do for their screening process if they're looking for facilitators? Um, I think I'm going to deflect on this one because I think that Shannon Duncan has an amazing book called Coming Full Circle about it's a healing healing trauma through psychedelics. And in the book, I actually just talked to him before the, the call, but he has a really great section on the book on finding red flags in your facilitator and finding green flags in your facilitator and how to make sure that you align with that person. And he also has a section that breaks down actually the difference between like what he considers like a trip sitter, a guide, a medicine worker, like what that means. So I really recommend the book. It's pretty powerful. And it's also a very honest look at what psychedelics looks like today. Like not everyone can be a facilitator, guide, whatever. And, you know, but I think the main thing would be like not finding them on Instagram. That would be my first suggestion. Yeah. But yeah, learn from Sophie's mistakes, everyone. Don't yeah. your guide on Instagram. <laughs> so where where are you supposed to find them then? Where are you supposed to find practitioners then? I know that's such a good question. I know people are making like directories and stuff, but it's like, well, who who decides what goes in the directory? Can anybody submit? Then it basically is Instagram. So there's a lot of questions of, and also like, I don't know, it's a hard question to answer because the space is so new and changing all the time. What, yeah. what do you want, right? I mean, well, we're actually might, but... building a directory too, but it's the same problem that I'm facing is like we have all these submissions we have about like thousands of entries but how do we vet each one yeah. you know there's one way the the idea that i've been tossing around is like getting people to kind of leave reviews but that takes a long time to for people to go through them and then leave reviews and kind of build up some kind of a system yeah. like that a psychedelic <laughs> yelp if you will yeah exactly but how do you get to that point where you have now a trusted system like that, Mind that's... doing something like that i think their goal is to create kind of like a like a score that's that's both affected by them somehow with factors and through reviews but you have to pay to apply like to have to be listed and you also have to pay to look through it and i think i think that's not even bad necessarily mm. because that creates like a barrier of like seriousness in a way like do you really want to be listed in this directory are you a retreat and it's more for retreats and or it's more for retreats and less for individuals so it's it's not a perfect system but it's an attempt at creating something that with the seeker in mind because i actually like i have a friend he lives in texas and he messaged me and he was like i want to find somebody to be my trip sitter my guide for my first experience i don't even know where to look you know and for me like the only thing i could say was you know join your local psychedelic society and ask around because right now it's just word of mouth and that's what it was back then too i think that's really good advice actually to find yeah. like a meetup group or something and, and people in there will know someone and have a, a good recommendation that's not yeah like, community is kind of always the answer like finding community and finding people that you can establish relationship with that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. i mean it's tough because like you know even you know maps is trying to set like the gold standard and even they had like a big problem with their facilitators forming a, a sexual relationship with one of the patients and you know you you reach this point where it's like you know who who can you trust but um i really appreciate you you coming on and sharing this whole story this has been absolutely fascinating and i think just an incredibly important part of the space right now and something a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to speak out about either like you said with the rose colored glasses a lot of times we don't we don't like to mention the bad we just like to stick to the good mm -hmm. um uh, but unfortunately the even runs... the bad is good <laughs> before the time runs out sophie can you tell people where they can find your writing find you on the internet just yeah. so we could yes. get get all that cool plugs we'll put in the link yeah. but yeah subscribe to my newsletter it's sophiemichalova.substack.com and it's also you can just google sophie land and you can find me on instagram at sophie does everything and it's sophie with 
with an F and we're running out of time, but thank you so much for having me <laughs> here. I feel like I've been running. This is why I quit smoking. <laughs> thank Bye, you so Sophie. much for coming. Thank this you so such much. Thank you, Sophie. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tripsitter podcast. Don't forget to check out Sophie's story, Who Guides the Guide, the Wild West of Psychedelic Coaching at tripsitter.substack.com. There, you can subscribe to receive even more premium content and hear more about this complex and critical issue for the future of psychedelia. And don't forget to follow us on your preferred social media platform. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. Remember, no substance is inherently good or bad. They're just chemicals, natural or unnatural, that exist in our world. It's our relationship with them and how we interact with them that that makes the difference.